After this episode, please stay tuned for an exclusive trailer from the Dark Tome podcast. Every town has its stories, its secrets. What possible harm could come from sharing them? Hmm? This is small town horror. My name is Ryan Jennings. Small Town Horror is a bi-weekly podcast documenting my return to Creighton, Minnesota and my continuing search for answers. For more details, please listen to all previous episodes. I made a snow angel today. I don't remember the last time I did that. It might not sound like much, but I did it during the day. There was a fresh sheet of snow as I was about to go to bed, and I just, I just went outside and laid down. I sleep during the day now. You heard before, I have problems with the darkness and nighttime. I'm back at the motel. I feel safer here. I only have one room to worry about. No sounds I can't control. I convinced the motel manager to let me put a couple more locks on the door, and I bought a few extra lights for when I stay up at night. Barricaded inside this room. Like a, uh... Well, like a crazy person. Stop calling yourself crazy. You said you weren't going to interrupt. And you said you were going to stop calling yourself crazy. Julie. Fine. Fine. Sorry. I'll go get something to eat and leave you to your self-deprecation. Thank you. My pleasure. So, um, that's Julie. I met her in a group that I've been going to for the last couple months. She's a survivor too. Just a different kind. She understands as much as anyone can, I suppose, but she even got me a hot plate and toaster oven. I convinced the motel manager that it wasn't a fire hazard. We settled on bribing him with a couple of cases in Northeast. In her words, if I'm going to live like a shut-in, I need to eat more than coffee pot ramen. She's not my sponsor. Not exactly. But sort of. She's a night owl, too. It's good to have someone to talk with at 3 a.m. when I just need to hear the voice of someone I trust. If you can't guess... Trust doesn't come easy these days. Just talking with anyone was hard to come by. The interview we heard with that cop was one of the first times I spoke with anyone who wasn't a doctor or survivor. Took a little while after that to want to talk with anyone again. 
and I know Julie's going to make fun of me for saying this, but she's been really important. She didn't have any idea what happened to me. She'd never heard the podcast, and still to this day insists that she only listens to some podcast called Pulpery Theater, whatever that is. But I'm pretty sure she listens now. I've been listening to, listening to those episodes that he posted, even after he let me go, trying to understand why, why anyone will go through all this effort, like he's trying to turn people against me, trying to keep me a prisoner. Meanwhile, I keep trying to hear some clues to where Sarah is, but there's nothing. The police and DNR have made it impossible to get anywhere near Ashbury. There are roadblocks set up all over the place, and they have patrols in the woods. They say it isn't because of me. They say it's from locals and people who've heard the podcast who've been causing trouble. Whatever that means. For all I know, it's a lie. They think I had something to do with all this. That cop... Blaming me for... They think I could have done something to... Sarah's out there somewhere. She needs help. I need to keep looking for her. That's why I'm still here. That's why I'm still recording. And that's the only reason I returned the call from that reporter, William. I didn't know what else to do. I won't talk to the press, but that's because they all keep trying to trip me up and try and get some kind of a scoop. They want me to be guilty too. Julie calls it victim blaming. She says it happens a lot. But William, he actually sounded like he had information for me. Ah, uh, Mr. Jennings, uh, thank you so much for speaking with me. Sorry if I'm being blunt, but can you just get to write what you were talking about? Other people hearing laughter? Of course. Actually, I stumbled across the information. What do you mean? You weren't doing a story on me? <laughs> Not at all. Uh, no offense, Mr. Jennings, but I had never heard of you prior to a week ago. How'd you come across my name at all? You weren't researching the laughter? I'm afraid not. Actually, I was doing a story on the current state of mental health facilities. My editor felt it a timely bit to do around Halloween. You know, splash some of those old images of the deplorable conditions in the early 1900s and juxtapose it against our supposedly more enlightened age. You were at when I was there? Again, no. I was at a facility in upstate New York. New York? Yes. I was interviewing some of the staff and just getting an overview of the types of programs and therapies that are being used to treat people in manic states. It was really more of an off-the-cuff remark that I almost dismissed. 
The doctor I was talking to made reference to patients requiring individualized plans, and that the idea of having a single course of action for a diagnosis was antiquated and frankly cruel. He mentioned how certain therapies piggybacked on the research that was done in the 1940s, but were largely lost during the war as it was done by a German researcher, a kind and brilliant man who had no ties to the Nazis, but who was nonetheless lumped in and his findings discredited based solely on his nationality. Yeah, I hear we've come a long way. Quite. Anyway, he mentioned how music therapies had shown to have greater effect than medication in certain cases, but there were cases in which the patients reacted adversely to music. The remark that caught my attention was him saying that there were certain sounds that some patients couldn't stand, such as the sounds of birds chirping, the sound of the rain, even the sound of laughter. If he had mentioned them in another order, I may not have asked at all, but I keyed in on laughter, asking for an example. He introduced me to a man named Kenneth. He had been admitted by his brother. Now, evidently, Kenneth had been a fully functional 25-year-old college graduate with no history of mental illness. One day, about two months ago, he appeared on his brother's doorstep in the middle of the night. He spoke no words. He just stared blankly at his brother in a sort of catatonic state. It wasn't until several days later, when Kenneth had been released from the hospital into his brother's care, that it happened. The brother had his television on and the laugh track of a sitcom came on. The brother burst into a fit of frenzied rage, desperately trying to flee the house. He was afraid of laughter. Exactly. Any laughter set him off into a rage. How'd you connect it to the laughter? My laughter. The laughter I heard and recorded. At the time, I didn't. I had no reason to. I went about my research. The thing was that within a few weeks, I came across a dozen other cases of men and women being terrified of laughter. Connecting any of it to you was because of a patient just outside of Baltimore. He said something about me? What? Well, she, actually. And I'll let her words speak for themselves. I cleared my recording the interview with the doctors, providing that I didn't use any personal information. As you might understand, finding a connection between patients has interested a great many in the profession. I've isolated the audio specifically to... well, you'll see. I'm sorry, did you say something? Dear. I'm sorry, could you repeat that? Do you hear it? Did I hear what? Do you hear it? 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 She said, did you hear it? She did. From there, it didn't take me long to come across your particular case, thank you, Twitter hashtags. I have no doubt that they are connected. Well, how long has the last patient been in the facility? You wonder if she heard your podcast? Yes, I wondered the same thing, but from what I can tell, there are only a couple of cases I discovered that would have had access to your recordings. If someone were to fixate on what they heard on your podcast, it would account for something but nearly all have been in their respective institutions prior to you ever publishing an episode, most for years in advance. Can you find out if they have any connection to Minnesota? To Creighton? Mr. Jennings, I think you're mistaking me for Carl Bernstein. I don't currently have access to my own private deep throat to clue me into all the mysteries of the world. What? Woodward and Bernstein? Watergate? 
Nixon? Oh, it was your president. How about the first season of The X-Files? Oh, you should have led with that. Noted. Regardless, my end of all this is fairly limited to what I've already discovered. Then what do you want? I want this story. There is no story. Being the professional journalist of the two of us, I feel I must disagree. There is no story without Sarah. And there's no story without me. Come again. I don't really give a damn if you think there's a story. Listen, I appreciate you telling me what you found, but it really doesn't mean does it? People are scared of laughter. Maybe they went through something like me. So what? I don't care about them. I care about finding Sarah. Tell you what. You help me find Sarah, and I'll give you whatever exclusive you want. I think you watch too many movies, Mr. Jennings. Information doesn't just magically appear. I use Google like everyone else. Then try something else. Help me and you can ask whatever you want. You can paint me in whatever light gets your story the most clicks. I don't care. Just help me find Sarah. Or I could just write the article now, with or without your interview. Then I guess we have nothing left to say. Dramatics weren't necessary. Probably not. But I need you to understand that the only thing I care about right now is finding Sarah. I'll tell you what. I'll give you a few weeks of my time. Time that doesn't otherwise interfere with my other deadlines. Whatever you can find. Exactly what will you be doing on your end? What was I supposed to say? Maybe tell him that I was going to do exactly what he would have done and go on to Google? Maybe mention that the police are most likely following me wherever I go and waiting for me to do something that fits whatever profile they've made for me so they can lock me up forever. I need to find Sarah. Every turn I make, I come across another reason to find her. I told William I'd do everything I could to follow up on any leads he found. I even offered to pay. Hopefully it takes checks. That call was two weeks ago. Since then, I haven't heard anything from him. Suffice it to say that I've spent more than a little time looking into the guy. The fact that some reporter I've never heard of just so happened to show up with information doesn't exactly sit well with me. I'll save the details for Patreon supporters and just tell you that he's a real deal. Of course, that doesn't mean I trust him yet. I've been spending more time in group sessions and talking with Julie when I'm not uselessly looking up any information on fear of laughter. It's called gelatophobia if you're interested. But technically it's the fear of being laughed at. Not a whole lot of documentation on people who are just afraid of the sound itself. It's so easy to lose momentum. Not to mention faith when you have nothing you can do. Julie comes over about once a week or so outside a group. She insists that I need actual human interaction. She has this thing she makes me do when I start to get too depressing. Say it. Come on. Just say it. You'll feel better. <sighs> okay. Last night I watched the entire third season of Archer. 
it made me happy. Seriously? Danger zone. See? Was that so hard? Yeah, it was. This is like covering someone who has arachnophobia with spiders. I didn't laugh, though. I still can't bring myself to laugh. It's not as bad as the patients that William found. I don't throw fits if I hear laughter. I just really don't like it. Forcing myself to watch funny TV shows or listen to comedy podcasts is supposed to help me confront my fears, I guess. When did things start to feel normal for you again? What's normal? I don't know. Your routine. The way things were. I haven't. Even three years later? I'll never be the person I was before. My life will never go back to that. Okay. When did you start to feel like your life wasn't ruled by what happened? I'll let you know. Great. It's not always a bad thing. When you survive something, sometimes standing up and just making it through the day is your win. It never actually gets easier. You just get better at it. So, just another two years and nine months to go, huh? You're stronger than you think you are. I'm weaker than you think I am. You don't have to take that as a compliment, since I know how painful that is for you. I mean that just doing what you've done shows strength. When was the last time you took a drink? Not since the woods. That's something. It messes with my meds. Well, would you be drinking if it didn't mess with your meds? I don't know. See? That's something. You're grasping at straws. Welcome to the life of a survivor. Sometimes it's the straws that get us through the days. There was a moment there. A thought that flashed across my mind. Something that I won't repeat because it isn't worth repeating. My phone cut the thought off. You going to answer that? It's unavailable. So, telemarketers are fun. You're weird. Come on, I'll cheer you up. Put it on speaker. Hello. Hello. See? Telemarketer. Do you still hear it? God damn it. How do these jackasses keep finding my number? Just hang up. People will get tired of it eventually. Ryan. Sarah? Oh my god. Ryan, is that you? Is someone else there? Sarah, is, is that really you? Where are you? Are you okay? Son of a bitch, when I find you, I'm gonna... Sarah? Sarah! Was that really her? Yeah. She's still alive. What are you going to do? I don't know. My search for answers is possible thanks to the listeners. To learn more about how you can donate to this podcast, please visit patreon.com slash smalltownhorror. 
I wouldn't exactly call my life normal, but things have gotten a little weird since I started experimenting with this book called The Dark Tome. When I say the book opened other worlds, I mean that literally. It, it worked! It worked! Holy crap, it worked! There it is. The little village. Uh, what did they call it? Uh, Posse... Posse, uh... Positano. Ah! <laughs> no need to be frightened, little girl. If you think imagination is a toy to be locked in a box when the grown-up world comes crashing in, then you must never have heard the legend of the Dark Tome. I mean, I never had either. Not until that May. It was 820 steps from Suliscale to the world below. I walked them again and again with my father, following his tread from our home in the sky and then back again. I walked those stairs when I slept in my dreams. If I had any sense, I would stay home now, but I can't. I don't want to. I need another story. The truth? I believe the stairs led down into hell. And hell was where I wanted to go. The Dark Tome as a new audio fiction series by Fred Greenhalge and Bill Dufries. Find The Dark Tome on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or visit thedarktome.com. The Dark Tome. Open the book. Unlock imagination. What happens now? Will you continue reading, or... I don't know. It is up to you. I have all the time in the world.